Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. And now, here is Walter Bingham. Walter Bingham mourns with a family, friends, and all of Klal Yisrael the death of Staff Sergeant Nathan Fitusi, who was so tragically killed by friendly fire. May his memory serve as a blessing, and may the Almighty comfort the family among the other mourners of Zion and Yerushalayim. Hello and welcome to the program for August 19th, 2022, which in the Hebrew calendar we count as the 22nd of Av, 5782. I am Walter Bingham. Today I talk about several events of the month as I saw them. Among them a look at the competition in the field of supervising kosher food establishments and also in the program you will hear about Project RAIN as well as about the controversy to boycott the 50th anniversary of the Munich Olympic massacre of Israeli athletes. But I begin with the question, is Israel a democracy? It used to be Italy that was the country with the most general elections within an unrealistic time span. But now it is Israel that is leading the field. On November 1st, we are going to the polls for the fifth time in three and a half years to elect yet another new government. At the last election in March 2021, there was a choice of 53 parties. Many announced totally irrelevant aims with only the support of the hundred original signatories that are required for registration and no hope for wider public endorsement. Such an administrative nightmare and associated cost can be easily eliminated by a large increase in the required number of founding signatures and by inflating the current registration fee of 2,333 shekel. Last year, 19 politically extremely diverse parties made it into the Knesset. With such a number, it is almost impossible to get agreement on any proposed legislation. In our current system, to achieve a government led by a majority party that will be able to fulfil its declared manifesto, it is necessary to further increase the electoral threshold to exclude more of the smaller parties that are able to make or break proposed legislation. The low threshold, in combination with a nationwide party list system, makes it almost impossible for a single party to win the minimum of 61 seats needed for a majority government, but a country cannot be successfully governed when, in a narrow coalition government, one or another minority party makes their vote conditional on impossible demands. Unfortunately, that is repeatedly the situation in Israel's Knesset. But even if all that were changed, Israel would still not have a truly democratic system of government. The fundamental principle of democracy stems from the Greek word stemos, 
meaning people, and kratos, denoting power. So democracy can be thought of as power of the people, by the people, and for the people. An examination of the structure of our political parties demonstrates that this is not the case in Israel. Take as an example Likud, the largest party in Israel. At a generous estimate, just 150,000 members are eligible to determine who should be on the list to be their delegates in Parliament. In reality, the turnout for their primary election this year was approximately 50%. In some parties, the delegates are even selected by the leadership who determines the order of probability to succeed as a Knesset member. That whole system, as I have described here, does not only deny our citizens the right to select their representatives who will govern, but by its very nature produces a government in which the conflicting interests of each constituent party prevents any productive policy to benefit and further the varying needs of different areas or communities. Israel has progressed from the socialist-based philosophy of yesteryear that built the foundations of our state to an important player among the nations of the world. In concert with our Western democratic partners, we condemn the regimes that prevent their population's freedom of expression, yet our Knesset members are delegates of the parties without any input from the citizens, instead of being their voted representatives, as is the case everywhere else in the Western world. In the 21st century, it would be more fitting to replace our non-democratic system with one similar to the parliamentary democracy that is practiced in the UK, the United Kingdom. They have just three main parties with the realistic chance to form a national government, Conservatives, Labour and Liberal Democrats. Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland have in addition to their representation in Parliament also their own national assemblies. Very few others, except the Greens, are of any consequence. For voting purposes, the country is divided into 650 geographical voting districts known as constituencies, each is represented in Parliament by their own member. In general elections, any registered party within a designated voting district can put up their candidate for election. The eligible residents of that constituency will then vote for one candidate of their choice. He or she, with the highest number of votes, will become their MP, their Member of Parliament. It is important to note that in their acceptance speeches, MPs will invariably stress that they will now represent all residents of the area without regard to their party affiliation or their voting records. That pattern is repeated nationally and the party first past the post, which means which reaches the number of 325 elected members, forms the government made up of its own MPs. 
As each area has a predominant interest, some agricultural, others industrial, etc., their MP will work with relevant ministries to promote those needs. Unlike here in Israel, where members of Knesset are not accountable to the voters and are even not approachable, British MPs make themselves available once a week in their local area office for members of the public to seek advice for their personal problems or concerns in matters that affect the government. If considered relevant, the MP will write to the appropriate minister and the whole correspondence is then made available and forwarded to the complainant. That is democracy. If such a system would be implemented in Israel, the attitude of RMKs would radically change for the better, because in order to retain their position, they would have to be accountable to and show interest in their constituents rather than acting according to the dictates of their ego. As such a change needs to be approved by Knesset, it would probably be strongly opposed just as Turkish would not vote for Thanksgiving. A workable compromise solution could be that one half of the 120 Knesset members would be appointed by the parties as hitherto, and the remainder would become the voted representatives of 60 constituencies. That would be more democratic and would bring Israel's system of government closer to that of other Western democracies. The ever-increasing anti-Semitic incidents in what should be the land of the free and home of the brave calls for an organized network of security to protect Jewish lives and property. One such organization is Project RAIN, Real-Time Actionable Intelligence Network. In a recent article in the Jerusalem Post, Michael Masters, the National Director and CEO of the Secure Community Network, the SCN, apparently the official safety and security network for the Jewish community in North America, describes the work of Project RAIN. Situated in Chicago, they monitor more than 12,000 Jewish facilities and identify threats on the dark web and from Muslim extremists and white supremacists. Masters compares it with Israel's Iron Dome as a protective shield over the North American Jewish community. Project RAIN moved the community from a reactive security posture to a proactive one in today's current situation, an important and recommendable effort. I have, however, some serious reservations. That project is presented as the universal remedy, the protection against anti-Semitism that plagues North American Jewry. I quote, For today, tomorrow, and for future generations, they claim. Even the community is requested to be a part of the effort, and that means that they will forever have to look over their shoulder. Is that the quality of life which Jews in America are expected to endure? Is that the future to which Jewish children born in the U.S. should look forward? It is high time for American Jews to realize 
that the once golden Medina is no more, that the climate of creeping antisemitism will sooner or later affect your comfortable home and lifestyle unless you protect yourself and your future generations from this change of climate today by considering moving to your real home, the Jewish State of Israel. As Rabbi Yeshua Fass, the co-founder of Nefesh Benefesh, said, Israel is not just a destination, it is your destiny. Now, a mention of the word climate change brings me to the cost of living crisis. Israel has submitted updated targets for cuts in global warming, gas emissions, to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. These commit the state to slashing economy-wide net global warming gas emissions by 27% by 2030 and by 85% by 2050 relative to what was in 2015. Israel's two-year state budget approved by ministers includes for the first time a special allocation of 625 million shekel nearly $195 million, to fight climate change. The money to be allocated over two years to help fund a five-year program will enable the Environmental Protection Ministry to advance renewable energy, green transportation and clean air initiatives, help local authorities to create programs for coping with climate change and invest in environmental research and new technologies, among other things, according to a ministry statement. Other ministries, such as Energy, Transportation, Economy and Education, and the Israel Lands Authority, will also receive as yet undisclosed sums to help them implement a multi-year government plan for cutting global warming emissions that will be presented in the near future. In addition, a sum of 550 million shekel, approximately $170 million, will be allocated to enable the ministry to help Arab municipalities prepare for global warming. So what has all that to do with the cost of living, you will ask? Well, think about it. 1000 175 million shekel, that's the total amount, that could help countless families who live below the poverty line or help to alleviate the plight of the overworked and underpaid health staff or subsidize the most common food items and more. But will spending it on matters of climate change make any difference? When China, the world's largest contributor of CO2 emissions, which is about 437 times bigger than Israel, is digging new coal mines. And what about Russia? Their greenhouse gas emissions are mostly from fossil gas, oil and coal. Russia emits about 2 billion tons of CO2 greenhouse gases each year. Annual carbon dioxide emissions alone are about 11 tons per person, more than double the world's average. Oh yes, both their governments have made some kind of commitment to reduce these numbers 
but past experience shows that they cannot be trusted. So let those nations lead the way, and then Israel will follow, and not the other way round. In an attempt to entice Israel's kosher food establishments to change their allegiance from the Israel rabbinate, the new alternate kosher supervision organization Soha, who are in competition with the Jerusalem rabbinate, have launched an advertising campaign to promote their standard of supervision as the highest possible. They are recruiting well-known rabbis to underwrite their halachic, that's according to law, integrity. Among their supporters is the former chief rabbi of Efrat and controversial retired head of Or Torah Stone, an international modern orthodox movement. Although Rabbi Riskin's contribution to Torah education has been incalculable, he should have refrained from interfering in the field of Kashrus supervision. It also seems that there are not many takers among the established uh, prominent rabbis in Israel, so Sohar has widened the circle in their search of rabbinic endorsements. Their latest supporter is Rabbi Hershey Pillet, recently retired from the Congregation of Young Israel in Woodmere, New York, who is a member of the U.S. President's Commission for the Preservation of America's Heritage Abroad. He was nominated by Senator Schumer of the Democrats and appointed by President Trump. Whilst I respect Rabbi Billet as a Torah-observant, former local communal leader in the U.S., educator of Haredi children in the Netzach organization, I do not believe that it is his place to recommend to the Israeli-observant community to accept Sohar, which implies equivalence with the traditional kosher supervision of the Israeli rabbinate. As there is only one standard of kashrut, that's observance of the dietary laws of Torah and as elucidated by our sages, adequately supervised by the Israel rabbinate, to have a second organization even with the best religious motives, but for reasons that can only be assumed to be commercial, serves only to confuse and divide the Kashrut observant community. It is our duty to change for the better anything that is in our power. But to simply complain about matters that are outside of our control, things that we cannot change, is not only an unnecessary strain on our already stressed daily tasks, but also an imposition, an intrusion into the life of those to whom the complaint is addressed. The Arutseva News Service reported that Deputy Economy Minister Yair Golan of the Merits Party commented on the result of the Likud Party's primary election choice as, quote, terrible and horrible news for the State of Israel. Well, as a member of the outgoing government, he had an opportunity to improve the economy of our country, but instead allowed the cost of living to rocket and the number of our citizens who have to exist below the poverty line to increase. I suggest to Yair Golan to remember the old proverb, people who live in glass houses should not throw stones. 
Ever since Julie Edelstein came to my notice many years ago, I admired the dedication, diligence and dedicated way in which he advocated for the State of Israel. Of course, he was one of the prominent refuseniks in his native Russia and suffered the inevitable imprisonment. And following his aliyah in 1987, he joined the IDF and after his release dedicated himself to Israeli politics. In the last Netanyahu government, Edelstein held the influential position of Speaker of the Knesset until 2020. He always opposed the Palestinian state. Now Edelstein slipped from first in the previously good primaries to 17th place in the recent one. Khan Television reported that as a result he demanded, quote, Make me a minister or I will not remain in the Likud much longer. That is not the attitude I expected from a man I admired. It rather reeks of placing position before principles. The position in the upper part of the primaries would in any case not of necessity exclude him from ministerial position, but if he cannot bow to the wishes of his party, he is no longer worthy of such a post in the next government. I hope, Yuli, that you have not been tainted by the attitude of first my government position and then my country, and having heard the result, spoke at the spur of the moment, and that you will apologize. The number of accidents on Israel's roads is no longer acceptable. Last week, on one day alone, I believe six people were killed, making it 19 in just one week. That tragically includes two men who stopped their car and while crossing to the opposite carriageway to help the victim of an accident, were run over by a car and killed. I lay the fault squarely on the level of driving instruction in Israel, which is obviously inadequate, added to the change of personality of Israelis when they get behind the wheel of a car. That is a deadly combination. According to the latest data, 355 persons lost their life in traffic crashes in Israel in 2019. This represents 12.3% increase over the previous year. And now 223 have been killed so far this year. Having regard to the increase of the numbers of cars on Israel's roads, the fatalities for 2022 can be expected to be even higher. The test to upgrade my UK driving license in 2005 lasted about 10 minutes. There was no theory and admittedly, having been a member of the UK Institute of Advanced Drivers, I was proficient. But as Israel drives on the right and the UK on the left, I would have expected more extensive tests plus some theory. It seems that all one learns is how to operate a car but not about roadcraft and certainly nothing about road lanes, road courtesy or road signs, otherwise traffic would run more smoothly with less hold-ups. New drivers should have to submit to a retest 
after three months on the road, instead of placing the useless sign in their car rear window expecting to be excused for breaking every rule. Equally, driving instructors should have their license withdrawn unless they pass a new, full two-week-long updated instructor's course. Road signs, particularly yellow arrows, must be made more visible in inclement weather conditions and at night. Finally, there should be an expanded corps of traffic wardens with the authority to oversee general traffic offences in addition to parking. The cost would be covered by the fines collected, but enforcement of the regulations must be with discretion instead of fining drivers 500 shekel who, for instance, momentarily drop off a passenger in the pouring rain, as happened in my family. By the way, when will the Ministry of Transport, that has been so actively engaged in improving our transport infrastructure, turn to the nuisance of speeding electric bikes and scooters that constantly violate footpaths and inconvenience pedestrians? In the UK, there have recently been suggestions of licensing such vehicles to have better control over them. If you have any comments on matters of our traffic, then write to me. The week saw three new ambassadors presenting their letters of credence to President Herzog. The first was His Excellency Li Kuk Trung from the Socialist Republic of Vietnam. They discussed the forthcoming 30-year anniversary of diplomatic relations between their two countries. The second ambassador to present his letters of credence was the ambassador of the Federal Republic of Germany, His Excellency Stefan Seibert, who most recently served as the German federal government's spokesman under Chancellor Angela Merkel. President Herzog praised the positive direction of Israeli-German relations, noting the many visits by German leaders to Israel over the past year. The President also noted the deep significance of the arrival of a new German ambassador in the Jewish state, adding that while both nations must always remember the past, they must also look forward to the future together. The third ambassador was His Excellency Kanta Rizal from the Federal Democratic Republic of Nepal. She greeted the President with rehearsed remarks in Hebrew, saying that she hoped to work together with him to strengthen and develop the friendly relations between Israel and Nepal, and she also extended an invitation to President Herzog to visit Nepal. It is now just three weeks to the 50th anniversary of the massacre at the Munich Olympics in 1972, when eight members of the Palestinian terrorist group Black September murdered 12 Jewish athletes. Germany arranged for some 100 family members and government representatives to fly to Munich for the ceremony in a specially chartered plane. Israel's President Isaac Herzog is also expected to be present. There are, however, strong voices that call for a boycott of Israeli participation in that event, and they claim that the German authorities did not 
do enough to save the athletes but ensured the life of the three remaining perpetrators after a German police action that failed to rescue the athletes. The spokesperson for the families is Anki Spitzer. Here is why she insists that Israel boycotts the ceremony and I quote, The families think that the offer from the German government is a total insult after 50 years. They did not protect our athletes. They did not prevent the terror attack, although they got information prior to the attack. They were not able to rescue them or even accept help from Israel. They abused us for 50 years. They did not give us any documentation. They lied and humiliated us. And now, after 50 years, they come with a proposal that is totally unacceptable to us. We are shocked that they even dare to suggest it. They are offering us $5.4 million. We are 11 families, 23 orphans, widows and parents. Yet, in 1972, they paid $9 million to the terrorists following a fake hijacking for the release of the three surviving terrorists. Nine million dollars in 1972, and to the families today, five million dollars. I said to the president of Germany, it's probably more profitable in Germany to be a terrorist than to be a victim of terror. Anki Spitzer continued, we are not going to the memorial ceremony in Munich because we think we've been insulted and humiliated enough. We have spoken to many authorities who support us and understand that we are not a grabber of money, but that we want fair and just compensation. Why not come out and say, we are sorry, we made a mistake and we are going to reimburse you. You can never give me enough money for my husband, but I want to get money for the children who all their life lived in the shadow of the Olympics, who had no father to be present at the milestones of their lives. Those were angry words spoken on behalf of the families. I would like to hear your opinion, so please write to me and you will always get my personal reply or place your comments in the appropriate space on the Walters World page of our website. Edgware and Hendon EHRS, the UK's biggest reform synagogue, nearest US equivalent to a conservative, has decided to adopt the policy allowing the child of a Jewish father and a non-Jewish mother to be recognized as Jewish without having to go through a conversion process. They have announced a generational change this week making it the latest and by far the biggest progressive congregation to sign up to the inherited status policy first introduced by the reform movement seven years ago. Under the policy approved by the reform Bet Din, to have inherited status, children must have been raised as Jewish. Orthodox Jewish synagogues, as well as some reform synagogues, maintain that to be considered Jewish without conversion, a child's mother must be Jewish. That synagogue's decision 
could have a wide-ranging impact. About 20% of children at EHRS have one Jewish parent and a high proportion of such children at Jewish day schools have a Jewish father and a non-Jewish mother. Since its introduction, the rule has been adopted sporadically across the movement with each synagogue choosing itself whether to incorporate it. That synagogue said it would give, quote, a route to Jewish status which is not considered to be conversion as that is not the emotional reality for those children who have been brought up as Jewish. It's truly a delight to help a young person claim their Jewish status where they have always lived as a Jew, said Rabbi Goldsmith of EHRS. He continued, To call it a conversion can be insulting to the commitment their parents and they have made to their Jewish upbringing. Inherited status enables who they truly are to be recognized and celebrated. And last, by no means least, now that the nuclear deal with Iran is again high on the agenda, and if the United States surrenders to the latest Iranian proposals, war with Israel is a possibility. I therefore repeat my recent appeal to the right-wing voting Israeli public, put aside your preferences for one of the smaller parties on this occasion, and vote tactically for Likud and Benjamin Netanyahu as Prime Minister so that we can get a stable government to deal with that threat. He has a proven record of convincing the world of the dangers from Iran, not only for Israel, but for the Western world. We must prevent a Knesset that is made up of 15 parties everyone concerned with its own agenda instead to ensure the well-being of our beloved homeland. And with that thought, I end for today. The world is experiencing unusual high temperatures which seriously affect the elderly who live on fixed incomes and perhaps do not have or cannot afford to run the air conditioning so please consider it your duty to visit your elderly neighbours to see if they are comfortable. Until next time, this is Walter Bingham wishing you a good and successful week. Goodbye. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. 
Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India. And I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.